0: All right, so imagine this. <clears throat> Tomorrow you get to work, and on your desk, waiting for you, is a red box with a red bow. Or, or maybe it just shows up at your house, right? The doorbell rings. You, you go to the door. There's FedEx. And they've left you this red box with a red bow. And on the box is a card. And the card says, a gift for you. I know you need this. Signed, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. That last one always changes it. I always get a response when I say, sign Bill Gates. Why would it be such a big deal if Bill Gates sent a gift to your house? Well, it would be a big deal because Bill Gates has got everything, right? I mean, I'm sure he's no longer probably the richest person in the U.S., but he'll do till the next one comes along. I mean, he's got some money in the bank, a lot of resources, a lot of connections. Bill Gates has a lot that he could give. And so if you had a gift on your doorstep or on your desk from Bill Gates and Bill thinks it's something you need, well, that'd be pretty cool. So I have a question for you. If that were the case, imagine that it comes to your place of business or it comes to your home. You haven't opened it yet. All you know is that it says a gift for you. I know you need this from Bill Gates. What are you hoping is in the box? What would you wish for? Would you wish it was a check, maybe? You open up the box, there's a check for a million dollars. Would that solve some problems for you? Or, or, or you know, maybe uh, it's, it's, you know, if you're, if you're younger in this room and you're thinking about going to college and you've seen what the tuition rates are. I mean, as a parent of young kids, this scares the crud out of me, but you've seen what the tuition rates are. And you open that box, and inside there is a full-ride scholarship and an acceptance letter to any college you possibly could want to go to, even the Ivy League schools, would that solve some problems for you? Maybe it would be something that, you know, maybe you would look at your life and say, I've had a a relationship break apart because I didn't have something. If I had that thing, the relationship would have lasted, or I, I could at least go back and remake that relationship. Would you hope for maybe that thing would be in the box? See, what I'd like to propose to you is I think most of us have at least a few problems in our life that we do not have the resources to solve. I mean, we've got a few things that are kind of heavy on our minds that are problems, but we don't know exactly how we're going to fix it. And if maybe a present arrived on your doorstep from Bill Gates, just maybe you'd be hoping that somebody who has a lot of resources would be able to fix that problem for you. Well, let's flip the question to a whole new level. What if that red package with the red bow on it came to you and it said, a gift for you, I know you need this, signed Jesus? That'd be a pretty big deal, wouldn't it? What would you hope would be in the box? Because Bill Gates, I mean, he's got some money, but Jesus, I mean, God has access to everything. What would you hope would be in the box? And I'm not just asking that question for the sake of doing a silly mental exercise. I have a point. Did you know that in the Bible there is a verse where Jesus says, to those of us who follow him, did you know there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift? He prefaces it, I mean look at it, John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples, I am leaving you with a gift. A gift for you, I know you need this from Jesus what would you hope would be in the box? And, and, and while we're thinking about that, let's think about the disciples because that's who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, the guys who have followed him through his ministry. And he says, I'm leaving you with a gift. So what does Jesus think the disciples need? Let's think about it in those terms. Well, Jesus could give them money or, or, or let's you know, just call it stuff. Jesus could give them stuff right? A, a, a blessing of stuff. And some of us in this world, we have problems. There are problems that we don't really have answers for, but if we were to try to come up with an answer for it, we would say, it's a stuff problem, and if I had the right stuff, I could fix it. You know, if I had the right amount of money to balance my checkbook, if I, if I had the right, you know, stuff in my garage, in my home, and if I had the right stuff at work, a stuff would fix it. So, you know, maybe Jesus would say, all right, to his disciples, get the 12 guys gathered around. I'm going to leave you with a gift, and it is the gift of stuff. Well, he could have done that. He also could have said, I'm going to leave you with the gift of miracles. Right? He could have I mean, because and by the way, they had certainly seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen him feed thousands of people with a couple loaves and fishes. They'd seen him make lame people walk, blind people see, raise dead people to life. You know, if he'd wanted to give them something super nice, wrap it up in a nice box with a bow, he could have given them the ability to do miracles. In essence, the ability to sort of wave a magic wand on demand on whatever situation was in their life to just fix it. And when I asked earlier, what if Jesus wanted to give you a gift? What would you wish would be in the box? Some of you are thinking, I, I, I couldn't explain it, I couldn't put it into words, because the problem that I have, the thing that's keeping me from feeling like things are alright with the world, the problem that I have is so big, it does not have a human fix. So all the money in the world wouldn't fix it. All the possessions in the world wouldn't fix it. All the solutions anybody's tried to give me, they wouldn't fix it. So I don't really know what it would take to fix it. So really, if Jesus were to give me something that would fix it, it would almost have to be like a magic wand thing that I could wave over the situation and just make it be better. And certainly Jesus could have given to his disciples the ability to work miracles, and they did from time to time, but he could have just given them the blanket authority to work miracles whenever they felt like it. He could have given them that. And that would have been a cool gift. Or he could have given them what I think they were hoping for. Personally, I think they were hoping for authority and power. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I think that the disciples were, were really hung up on this idea that somehow Jesus is going to establish this earthly kingdom during their lifetime, and, and he's going to be the, the preeminent person in charge, and they're each going to get some cabinet position. They're going to get a position of power and authority. and And these were, you know... These gentlemen and their ancestors had lived under the oppressive thumb of other nations and peoples for a long time. And the idea of being in charge and being able to, to be the person who makes the decisions, that was an attractive idea. And so maybe you would say, you know what, Jonathan, what I would really like for Jesus to put in the box is for him to put me in charge. Not because I'm I'm a... I'm, you know, a, a Power-hungry, control freak or anything like that, but just because I feel like I could manage things, my life is right now very unmanageable, and if God would just put me in a position to manage the unmanageable, then I think at that point my life would smooth out. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift, but notice, none of the things that I just talked about is what he says he's going to give them. Check this out. We're back to John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace. Peace of mind and heart. I'm leaving you with a gift. I know you need this. Peace. Have you ever gotten a gift? It wasn't what you were expecting. Well, let's face it. It was less than what you were expecting. Some of you ladies, the February 14th was just a, you know, not too long ago. So This is a recent experience for some of you. Um, but you got a gift. It wasn't what you were expecting. It was less than what you were expecting. And it came in a gift bag, right? These are, these are terrible inventions, the gift bag, because they get stuffed with all kinds of paper and, and uh, you know, tissue paper or whatever. And so when you get that gift and, and you go to reach in and grab whatever it is and you look at it and you think, is this all? Right? Then Now you don't know what to do. Do I reach back in the bag and see if there's something else in there? If I do, will they be offended? If I don't, will they be offended? Maybe they put something else that's big in there and they're going to be offended that I didn't think there was anything else in there. I mean, this is a real problem and I can't be the only person who's ever faced this, right? You think Well, there's got to be something else in there and I got to be honest with you. When Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift, I know you need this, peace. The human side of me wants to keep digging in the bag. The human side of me goes, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with peace? And on top of all that, peace is an abstract concept. Even preparing for this talk, it, it was tough to figure out how do you put handles on the concept of peace? How do you make it accessible? How, how, how do you find a, a, a concrete way of thinking about something that's as abstract as, as peace? What am I going to do with that? You know, I think one of the reasons that I struggle, this is just me being personal, one of the reasons I struggle to really value peace is because I think in my life I've experienced some peace, but I'm still yet to a certain level to experience the kind of peace God wants me to experience. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I have experienced a level of peace from time to time. But I'm not sure, because if you read the Gospels and you read the Pauline Epistles, you see over and over again, it's talking about peace. I'm, you know, Paul is telling the churches that he's writing, I want you to have God's peace. And Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you a gift and it's peace. Obviously, it's a really big deal, but sometimes I don't put a good value on it because I, I haven't experienced it to the level that God wants me to experience it. So I just want to talk about that. I want to talk about what peace is, how God wants us to experience it. And before we're done, I also want to talk to you a little bit about How does this impact your current situation? Because if Jesus leaves you a gift, we want whatever is in that box to help us work through our problems. So a big question is, if God wants us to have peace and he wants us to understand it and he wants us to experience it, then how is that going to impact the day-to-day practical issues that I have? And I'm going to try to work through that here with you here in just a few moments. Now here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about two kinds of peace i want you to think about peace outside your life and peace inside your life okay peace outside is peace in circumstances around you so for instance the the lack of peace the battle going on in the back seat in your car as your kids have an argument about whether or not we're going to which restaurant we're getting ready to drive through the window right that is peace outside right that is something that is not, it's not happening inside of you. It's something that's happening around you, right? Or uh, layoffs at work, right? That's not peace inside, it's, it's peace outside. It's something that's happening around you that affects your peace, right? And we'll, we'll just, we'll use this as a definition for peace. I'll Take this quick time out and just clarify what I mean when I say peace. Peace is the experience we have when things are right, right? An example of that would be, you do your checkbook. You do do your checkbook, right? I don't, my wife does, but somebody in your house does your checkbook, right? And at the end of the month, you tally everything up. If there are no discrepancies, if all the numbers make sense and all the math lines up and you don't have any overdrafts and you don't have anything that you know, is putting you in the, in the red and if you have some money left over at the end of the month instead of month left over at the end of the money, right? You have peace with your checkbook, right? Everything is, you feel that feeling, okay, in true to nose, out true to mouth, it was a good month, right? But, if on the other hand, you do the math, and you have negative figures, or sums you can't account for, or something's not going right, you do not have peace with your checkbook. Some of us have experienced that, right? Or, let's put it in a relational sense. If you and your spouse are having a good day, Right? And, 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 and you're collaborating, and you're acting like the team that you're supposed to be, and everything's going really well, and there's peace and happiness and a lack of tension, we would call that peace within the relationship. If, on the other hand, you are having a bad day in your marriage, right? That happens sometimes, you know, even for pastors, we, we're not exempt. Sometimes you have a bad day, you have an argument, some tension, some stuff comes up that's no fun to deal, to deal with. Then that is a lack of peace in the relationship. Simply because things are not right. So when I talk about peace inside or peace outside, what I'm talking about is whether or not things are right around you or whether or not things are right inside. And we're going to talk about the difference and why it's so important here in a minute. But one thing we do know, life without peace is extremely unpredictable. If you've ever been in a situation where you just really have a supreme lack of peace, you know it's very unpredictable. It can be very lonely. It's hard to make connections and relationships when you feel that way. So I want to ask you a question. This is just another mental exercise. I want you to think about this. If you had to put a percentage, thinking about peace inside and peace outside, what percentage would you say, zero to 100%, that you have peace outside in your life? Circumstances around you, your work, your family relationships, your finances, your kids, all that stuff. What percentage would you say you're at peace outside? And then what percentage would you say you're at peace inside? Right. Well, two things. Number one, I'm going to guess that nobody give, nobody's going to give 100% for either category. I think that's, that's a given. But let me ask you another question. What comes first? What comes first? Because you know, one of the biggest challenges that I have in life is that I try to get peace outside so that I can then have peace inside. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. But I tend to think if I can just make things right in the circumstances of my life, then I'll feel things are right on the inside. See, I asked a moment ago, what would you wish to be in the box? And if you're like me, one of the first things your mind is going to go to is what could be in there that would fix the circumstances of my life? What would make my life right on the outside? What would solve the financial problems? What would solve the relational problems? What would solve my work problems? What would make things right on the outside? Well, why do you want things to be right on the outside? What would that accomplish for you? I think most of us think, well, if things were right on the outside, they would feel right on the inside. Life can feel kind of like a roller coaster, and most of us want to live beyond, you know, live away from the drama. And we keep thinking, if, if things were just right on the outside. But is that really true? In our time together this morning, what I would like to do is I would like to talk with you about why things are wrong in our lives on the outside, why things are wrong in our lives on the inside, why we need to pay attention to which part and what God has for us and why Jesus left this gift for us. So what I need to do, in order to talk about this, I need to take you all the way back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden. You know this story. You know that God puts uh, the first man and woman in in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, gives them one rule, don't break this one rule. As long as everything stays that way, They have peace. As a matter of fact, in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve there, that was the only time on this planet, in the history of this planet, that two human beings had complete peace. Peace outside, and peace inside. Peace with their environment, and peace on the inside. But you know what happened, right? Satan shows up on the scene, tries to convince Eve to eat of the fruit that God said don't eat of. She eats of the fruit, she gives it to Adam, Adam eats of the fruit, and ever since then, we've been living in a broken world. Had somebody the other day tell me, you know, Jonathan um, is a real theological fellow. He said, you know, Jonathan, um, from my studying and from what I can tell in the Bible, you know, God's all powerful. And so God must at some level have willed for us to live in a broken world. That is certifiably crazy, right? And I'll explain to you why I mean that. I have any Corvette fans in the room, right? Fellow Corvette fans, my hands up. Okay, I've got a few. Good. I was starting to worry there for a minute. Um... I want you to imagine for a second that you have a 1970 Corvette LT1, 370 horsepower, 350 cubic inch engine, factory T-tops, you know, bright red, freshly detailed leather interior. And you take the keys to that car, and you walk up to your 16-year-old, and you say, I want you to drive it. I know it's ludicrous. Stay with me. Stay with me. I want you to drive it. You tell your 16-year-old, I want you to enjoy it. I, I, I want you to treat it like it's yours. I, I, want you to, I just want you to experience having this awesome car. I have one rule for you, though. I, I don't want you to break the speed limit. I take speed limits very seriously. So you watch those posted speed limits. You drive it over the speed limit, you're going to crash the car. I don't want you to crash the car. I don't want that for the car. I don't want that for you. I, I, I want you to make sure that you keep it in line. But as long as you do that, you can enjoy this car and have a great time with it. So you're 16-year-old goes out and drives at 90 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone, hops a curb, runs it into a brick wall and totals a car. Let me ask you a question, did you want your car totaled? No. There's something though about relationships that I think our culture struggles to understand. If you really want to have a close, loving relationship with somebody, you have to risk with them. You don't get a choice about that. Loving relationships require risk. And God wanted to have a loving relationship with human beings. And so he took a risk. He put his precious creation in the hands of human beings and said, I'm trusting you to do the right thing. And they made a choice and did the wrong thing. And if you don't believe me, look at this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This is before man sinned. Okay, so this is at the very beginning. God blessed them, meaning Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And look at this word, govern it. Right? Govern. Govern rain over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground so look at those words govern reign god is delegating authority to adam and eve because that's part of being in a loving relationship is sharing and god wanted to share his authority with man the problem is then man took god's authority that god just shared with them and then turned around and shared it with satan no wonder we live in a broken world wasn't what god wanted but as a result of that we don't have peace do you ever wonder why do why do we struggle so much with peace? Why why did I you know I said earlier some of us have never even really felt the real feelings of peace why does our culture struggle to understand peace why is it the thing that we always aspire to but never seem to reach you know the the almost the cliche thing of you know well, what I wish for is world peace we talk about it like it cannot be achieved and certainly on this planet I think it's not going to happen but it's not because we're not brilliant enough it's not because we don't have enough diplomats and it's not because we haven't come up with the right scientific solution to get there it's because we live in a broken world because God handed the keys to man and man handed the keys to Satan and it's not going to get fixed until god comes back so we do live in a broken world and up until jesus died on the cross we lived in a broken relationship now i, I say that because it's really important to understand that the peace outside in our life has to do with the world that we live in and just a second ago i said that it's a broken world that means your percentage is never as long as you live on this planet you're never going to have a 100 percent rating of peace with your circumstances you know, some of us really struggle in life because we've never grieved that fact. We've never come to the realization that our circumstances are never going to be 100% perfect. You know, Part of living a successful life in our world is finally being willing to embrace that. But the thing about it is, living in a broken world, it's a problem. It's a pain. Often it can be, it can be very difficult, but it is really a tiny problem compared to the fact that the moment that, that Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden we were living in a broken relationship with God. And it wasn't just a little broken, it was 100% broken. And the Bible tells us that God wanted to do something about that. I mean, you know, in in, in Romans 5.12, the Bible says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the whole world. And Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin." Well, that idea there of death just means separation from God. Basically, the Bible said, not only did we now live in a broken world, but the the relationship between us and God was broken, and God wanted to do something about that. John 14.27, this is our anchor verse, and I just want to take you back to it. John 14.27, I am leaving you with a gift, Jesus says. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Peace of mind and heart. You know what that means? When when Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace of mind and heart, that means peace of logic, of your logic, and peace with your emotions. So that sounds to me like peace inside. Because if God wanted to say, I'm going to give you peace outside, he would have said, I'm going to give you peace with your job, I'm going to give you peace with your relationships, I'm going to give you peace financially, but he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to give you peace of mind and peace of heart, I'm going to give you peace with your logic and peace for your emotions. And how many of us know we have battles on both of those fronts, right? I mean, we we struggle to process things logically sometimes, and then we struggle to feel the right things sometimes. I know I work with a lot of couples who are going through difficult times. And, you know, sometimes it's an issue with logic. Other times it's an issue with emotion. I always tell people in the middle of a fight, logic didn't bring this train to crazy town. Emotion did, right? But we, we need peace for both of those, and that's what God is saying. But then notice he says this, and I think this is kind of the, the clincher here. He says, the peace I'm going to give you is a gift the world cannot give. Now, that's interesting. Here's a gift from Jesus. He says, I know you need this. And he also says, what is in this box is something the world cannot give you. Well, we said that it's peace, right? And what is peace? We said peace is what makes wrong things right. Well, what does the world use to make wrong things feel right? Check this out in 1 John 2.15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do you not have the love of the Father in you? For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure... A craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the list of what we just read about what the world offers, did you notice those are all things that are built to give you peace outside? right? The, the, the craving for physical pleasure is something to give you peace outside. The, the, everything that we see, all the possessions, all the stuff that we want is stuff on the outside. Achievements, Pride in our possessions and achievements. It's all about stuff on the outside. Do you notice that the world is all about giving you peace on the outside? And God is about giving us peace on the inside. That's kind of important because what God is saying. Did you notice God said the world is fading away as well as all the things that the world tries to give you to make there be peace in your life? So what God is saying is in case you were wondering, peace on the outside, the kind of peace the world tries to give you is always temporary. And most of us have felt this. We didn't really, we, sometimes it's hard to, to really get it when it's happening, but we know that something was wrong, we did something to make ourselves feel better about what was wrong, but it just didn't last. We didn't have lasting peace. We didn't feel better about it on an ongoing basis. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the, the, the band-aids that this world puts on, on the things that need peace in our life are temporary and they do fade away. God says, I want to give you something permanent. I want to give you peace on the inside. You know, the, the, you can have money, but a dollar only spends once. Money's gone quickly, and as my dad likes to say, there are no hearses pulling U-Hauls. You cannot take it with you, right? You will have to put the money back in the box. You can have power and authority, you can have the title, you can be the CEO, but eventually somebody will replace you in that position, and you'll go back to being where you were before. You can have justice. That's a big one. The world tries to put that band-aid. When we've been wrong, the world wants to give you justice. But a lot of us in this room could testify to the fact that justice never truly fixes the pain of being wronged by someone. God says, I want to give you peace, peace for your emotions and peace for your logic. And it was expensive. The Bible says that in order for God to do that, he had to fix what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. That's That's why I took you all the way back there a second ago. See, here's the deal. Before God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, there was no way we could have peace with God. Because there was separation. It was a broken relationship. So, so here's the deal. God knows. I, 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 or let me put it this way. I know that God has the power to fix the world I live in. But he also has the power to fix the relationship that I have with him. God knows which is the bigger of the two problems. And see, God understands that this world that I live in that's broken is fading away. But my relationship with him is an eternal thing, and it's very, very important. And so God, rather than fix the world that I live in, God wants to fix the relationship that I have with him. So that's why he sends Jesus Christ to die. Check this out, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right, what is peace? Peace is the experience that we feel when things are right. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. With God. That is peace inside. That's why we struggle so much to put handles on. What is that feeling of peace inside? What is that all about? How does a person get that feeling? It is peace with God. Our culture doesn't understand it. That's why we have such a hard time getting our our mind wrapped around it. But peace on the inside is peace with God. And here's the Bible saying we have peace with God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of faith. Christ has brought us into this place of understand, undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved uh, through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. See, there are levels of peace. There is a truce. Truce means... There is no more aggression between us. I'm not coming after you, and you're not coming after me. And that could, that could have been what God could have done for us. He could have just called a truce, and that would have been good. That would have been great if there was if if, if, if we were just gonna call it good between us. But the Bible says it's such deep peace. It's it's hundred percent peace. We have been completely restored in this relationship to the point that it is a friendship. We're not just in a truce, we're close. See, some of us, we need, to, like, we need to digest this. We need to get this. And we need to let it seep into our lifestyle because we struggle to understand that God loves us even though we do wrong things. And God's saying, I just want you to know, be, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You are 100% at peace on the inside with God. You are 100% restored. You are God's friend. You say, well, that's good, Jonathan, and I want to be God's friend, but what about my situation?" What about the stuff that I'm going through? Because I do have a problem that I don't have resources to solve. So what about that? I want to take you for a moment to the book of Psalms. If you're a fan of the book of Psalms, you're probably a fan of chapter 46. It's a great chapter of God's strength and protection in our lives. And most of us think of Psalms as being written by David, and most of the Psalms are. But this is a Psalm that was written later. We think this was written during the time of King Hezekiah. Look at this with me, would you please? Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city, and it cannot be destroyed. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. This is not just a pretty piece of poetry. Notice it says, a river runs through the city of the Most High God. It's a very, very important picture because it means something concrete to the people who are singing this song. At this time, it was certainly at the time we believe this psalm was written, Hezekiah was king, the Sennacherib, a, a king of another people group, was coming to try to capture uh, uh, God's people. And, and as they were coming, they had used a specific technique of conquering that had been very effective for them in the past. Cities like you know, Israel that had high fortress-type walls that were built to try to protect them from their enemies generally leave something out. I mean, this was a piece of logic. If you build these massive walls, you're going to have to decide to exclude something. And if you have a people group, like the people of Israel, who hunker down inside the walls and say, we're just going to wait this out until you go back away. You, you try to attack us, and we're just going to get inside our fortress and wait for you to, you to move away. Once they run out of supplies, whatever it is that they excluded, whatever they cut themselves off from by walling themselves in, they'll run out of it, and then we'll just go in and take over. And they knew That when Israel had fortified the walls, they had left out their primary source of water, which is kind of a biggie. They knew that normally, when the city was operating normally, people would go outside the walls of the city and bring water in, and so they're thinking, we'll just wait for them to run out of water, and this will just be super easy. They'll open up the walls, and we'll go in, and we'll take over. See, that's what they thought, and I think that's what Satan thinks in our lives. Satan thinks that we, when, when, when we reside inside of God and we say God is our fortress, God is the walls that protects me on all sides of my life, even though I'm going through difficult times, even though I'm experiencing, uh, experiencing problems, God is protecting me. Satan still, because he, he thinks that everybody thinks the way he does, he still thinks that eventually you're going to run out of whatever it is that keeps you going, and he's going to be able to come in and conquer you. But you notice it said a river brings joy to the city of our God tell you what that's about. Hezekiah had a tunnel built. Sennacherib doesn't know anything about it. Hundreds of feet cut into the rock that takes water from a perpetually flowing spring directly into the middle of the city. Now, God's people were just sitting there saying, we can wait this out. We can wait this out. We're good. Because because there was a perpetual source of water that was flowing into the city, and they were good. And here's the thing. Satan doesn't get this, but if you're a follower of God, you know that it's true. That God is continually supplying your life with what you need to make it in the moment. He's not necessarily fixing everything that's going on around you. Because we live in a a broken world, we're never going to have 100% peace outside. And so God doesn't exactly fix everything on the outside, but God keeps pumping peace inside of our life so that we can outlast our problems. God never sent us into this world to fix all of our problems, he sent us into this world to outlast our problems. So when you face something, and by the way, I, I said this in the last service, but this is largely a matter of focus, you know? This is what God's trying to tell us. Because if 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 you're one of the children of Israel, one of God's people, inside God's city, climbing up on the edge of the wall, peeking over the side, and looking at the huge army of Sennacherib, man, outnumbers you tons, tons people. As far as you can see, you're never going to have peace inside. If all you look at is the enemy on the outside, that's not where I want to be. I want to go sit by the place where that spring is coming into the city. I want to watch that water bubble and flow in. I want to see that God is supplying over and over and over again. And you know what? One of the biggest problems I have in my life that I need to work through, I tend to be the person who gets the ladder and climbs up on the wall and looks at everything that's going on and says, you know what, God, I don't know how you're going to rescue me from all this. And God's saying, go sit by the spring. Go sit by the place where I'm piping water in. Go sit by the place where I'm supplying you and keeping you alive and keeping you vibrant and keeping you successful in the middle of all the stuff that's going on in the outside. Because you will outlast this. Peace inside. That's where it starts. I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's a verse I want to read to you. I didn't even give it to the tech team. I printed it out at the last minute. If you're taking notes, write this passage down. Romans 15, 13. The Apostle Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. By the way, confident hope is a great way to put peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at that word overflow. Then you will overflow with peace or with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So many of us right now, we are trying to make peace in our life. We're trying to make everything be right. We want our circumstances to be right. We want all the relationships in our life to be right. And we have somehow tasked ourselves with fixing everything. And we want to make everything be right. Can I tell you that the Bible says that we are to let rightness overflow. Let God be what is right in your life. Start inside. Let God be what is right in your life. The Bible says at a point you will be filled. But after after that moment, God's not going to stop just because he fills you. God is going to keep pumping in that peace until you overflow. And the people in your life and the experiences in your life and the situations in your life will begin to experience peace because God has filled you so much with it that it can't help but spill over into the other areas of your life. And if you think about it, it makes sense that Jesus comes to you and says, a gift for you, I know you need this. It's peace. It's peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and for the fact that you want us to have your peace. Father, thank you for the fact that you didn't leave the relationship broken and fix this world. That wouldn't have helped us at all. So much better that you left this world and you fixed our relationship with you. Father, we just pray in these next moments that she would speak to hearts as only you can. I know I'm in overtime, but I do want to give you an opportunity. If you're in this room, you say, Jonathan, I do not have 100% peace inside with God. Things are just not right between me and God. I want to give you an opportunity to reach out to him, to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. You can follow along with this silently in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. and It'll be settled. Here we go. Dear Jesus, Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I do wrong things. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness and peace with you. I'm choosing to believe in you and I ask you to make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, look this way. If you just prayed that prayer, we wanna do something for you. We've assembled a packet of materials we'd like to give you. There's a DVD and and a booklet and a Bible. We'd just like to give that to you before you leave. So if you just prayed to receive Christ, take that Talk To Us card, check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ, take it to guest services out in the foyer or back by the coffee shop before you leave. Would you do that? Thank you so much for being here with us. Next week, we start simple math.